0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. These
2: guys are your favorites. So like, share, subscribe, and rate. for Hello, Squatcheteers. This is Cliff Berrickman of course, and uh, Bobo once again is not with us because he is not feeling well today. And don't worry about it. It's not COVID. It's not nothing like that. He's he's well enough at this point, um, but he is not feeling well enough, and his voice hurts and all this sort of stuff. He's kind of Princess in the P in a lot of ways, you know. Like I'm, I, I feel slightly uncomfortable, so I'm not going to. Do... Okay, that's fine. But no, honestly, I'm not trying to make fun of him. He is actually sick today, but there's something going around. You may hear it in my voice as well. I've had a head cold. For about a week and a half now, uh, so if I sound a little stuffy, that is why. Um, and I think something like that has got Bobo right now as well. It's all that running around and stuff he's been doing. You know, like uh, like a couple weeks ago, he was all, driving all over California for the production company and stuff. I think, I, I think, and, I, and, and, and this is between you and me. Don't tell Bobo. He's not as young as he used to be. Again, I don't think he knows that yet, so let's keep that from him. But I think that you know he just. It's one of those things, you know, it gets worn down a little quicker. I know I do. But anyway, so that's the deal. So you're stuck with just me again today, uh, which is fine. Uh, we do that every once in a while. That's kind of the reason why we have two hosts, after all. You'll notice that sometimes Bobo is here and I'm not. That also happens. But anyway, it's going to be a good show today, and uh, I I want to spend a lot of time talking to him because our guest today is not only uh, a prominent person in the Bigfoot community, but he's also a good friend. And uh, these are my favorite kinds of shows for that reason, because I basically get to talk to somebody I don't talk to very often for a good solid hour or so so and just see where the conversation goes so um, you may or may not know this dude if you don't know where he or don't, don't know who he is and you haven't been paying attention um he is uh, not only the brains but also the looks behind small town monsters yes that is correct today's guest is seth breedlove seth you are a lovely man uh, welcome to bigfoot and beyond with cliff and usually bobo how are you doing today it's okay i'm gonna pretend bobo's here uh, he's yeah, you should. You should sitting next to me the entire show. Um, that's what I'm. Well, you know, we, we do edit this. Maybe our editor can put in the <laughs> occasional grunt or something from like Bobo. A, like a chuckle. Like a little like, chuckle. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> something, yeah. dude. One of those things. You know. <laughs> I'll try to give you that every once in a while to make it sound like there's three of us here. But I'm looking at your face right now because I w- I'm on
3: the uh, the STM Productions page, which I never have gone on. This is literally
2: STM, from- which is Small Town Monster Monsters. Small town monsters. Wanna, yeah, because you're, you're throwing you're throwing jargon around like know. we know it, you know. But, but yeah. like STM STD, it could be anything when you say something like that, you know. so Your face
3: is cracking me up though because it's this shot from Momo, and you're in that short sleeve shirt. Uh, oh yeah the cowboy hat and i'm aware keenly aware of what happens next which is you get
2: really sick yeah i got really sick for like a week and a half after that because i am also not as young as bobo thinks he is yeah yeah uh but yeah <laughs> uh
3: thanks for having me though I'm, I'm excited to hang out and talk with you
2: about bigfoot or whatever whatever we're about to talk about yeah exact, exactly. whatever we're about to talk. and and trust me, it is good to have you. It's nice that you're being had by us. So you've you've kind of created this small media empire, you know, um, I, I think that's a good way to say it. like small town monsters is a is a kind of a, you know moderately sized biggish thing right now. I mean, in general because you're just pumping out. Content left and right. I mean, I, oh, so he just put out a bigfoot thing. No, he's not advertising a bigfoot thing. He's advertising something entirely different. Now you've got so much going on. Let's rewind and, and talk about how it started, if you can, because I don't even know that you're a good friend of mine, and I still don't know that it's a boring story. I mean, the fact is, like, I people
3: ask me how I got into this stuff, and it's such a I, I worked medical billing, and because of that, I had a, a, an inordinate amount of time to like listen to podcasts and read books and read you know like cruise the internet at work because i did everything i could except work and uh in doing that i i somehow kind of gained an interest in like the
2: creepy and the paranormal which came first the the creepy or the paranormal or the the same sort you know like in the monster movies and stuff is that it no i mean well yeah my mom
3: introduced me to harry house and ray harry house and movies when i was like when i was like six years old and so I kind of credit that with like wanting to make movies just in general. Was watching, um, you know, the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and Jason and the Argonauts. That's the one that I was mildly obsessed with. Which Tommy, my son, my four year old, is also mildly obsessed with. He's he loves the the skeletons in that movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, I got into it through that stuff, and then um, I began uh, looking into Bigfoot stories. that had happened uh, on the outskirts of the small town I grew up in, in, in Northeast Ohio, which is called Bolivar, which is, you know, like when, I'm, are you familiar with like the Sasquatch Triangle? I'm sure you are.
2: You know, everybody's got their triangle. I'm on, I'm on some show called Alaskan Triangle. They just made that up too, man. Everybody's got some triangle they want to push. Like what? what, what is the Ohio one or whatever? Don Keating like coined this Sasquatch Triangle term back in
3: like the 90s, maybe late 80s. Um, Don, Don is like, Kind kind of the godfather of bigfoot research in the state of Ohio. Absolutely, he had another good friend, a guy we should have on the show. Thinking about it, yeah, he'd be great. His his fantastic at like stories and stuff. But yeah, he had he had noticed a pattern of sightings that happened in this area that you could kind of map to a triangle, and uh, the northern tip of that ti- triangle ends just below the town of Bolivar, which is where I grew up. So. Um, that northern tip of the triangle would be right where these sightings were taking place. There's actually a road on the outskirts of Bolivar that runs through this area that's like former strip, formerly strip mi- um, mine land. And um, there's a lot of ranches and small farms that sort of border that land. And um, I started finding out about sightings that were taking place down there. Specifically, there was a family that that I had a connection to who owned a ranch, a horse ranch, and they claimed that they had such frequent encounters with Bigfoot that they could follow them on horseback. And it seemed absolutely absurd to me, but the fact was that these were not the type of people you would expect to make that stuff up. The husband of the, the woman who initially told me about the encounters um, so the landowner, he was actually like the district attorney of uh, Stark County at the time, like Canton, Ohio, at the time, and uh, and she owned, she was like a really prominent dentist, owned this huge dentist practice in Canton, and and they were very re- like well renowned people in the area, but they had these wild stories, and so I started driving down there uh, anytime I could, because um, I had moved out of the area, but I would go back and drive around those roads day or night. And I ended up starting to like stop. I would stop my car and talk to random people that I saw walking around, <laughs> which is what you do. Which I kind of like started doing things like that simply because I was a, a reporter for a for a newspaper at the time, and so like I was employing some of those tactics, I guess, when I was doing that. Um, yeah, so I started I started going down there and uh, talking to random strangers on on the back roads, and the common denominator, the common story that kept coming up was that people were finding animals, uh, deer and livestock uh, ripped in half and stuffed up in trees. And the um, I remember specifically one older couple that I had talked to who told me the strange thing about that was that they remembered the same thing taking place in the 1970s during like the height of this rash of Bigfoot sightings that took place on that road. And it was fascinating to me because I'd grown up in Bolivar. I, kn- I knew nothing about sightings down there. I knew about the Minerva monster, but didn't know about anything taking place in Bolivar. Bolivar is about 15, 20 minutes. Um, it'd be west of Minerva. So um, that was like what kind of, I guess, baptized me into bigfootery. Um, Did you ever see any of these uh, corpses up in the trees? No. Um, and I, it was not the kind of place where you could just walk onto people's property and ask them, you know, the people that live back there are, are very private and it wasn't the type of place you would want to go just ask, uh, someone on their own property. I, I was only told about that by maybe three or four people. Um, but I actually recalled as a kid hearing those stories too. And my dad remembered it as well. So that was something that apparently was common over in that area, but that kind of like got me interested in the subject. And from there I, I decided to, uh, to make a a documentary in 2014 about the Minerva monster case, which was another like local monster that I was vaguely aware of having grown up in Bolivar, which again is it's not far from Minerva. And as a kid, we didn't say like, I, I didn't know anything about Bigfoot. That wasn't a thing I was aware of, but I was definitely aware of the Minerva monster because kids in my neighborhood would say, don't go out in the woods after dark or the Minerva monster will get you. And so, as a kid, I was aware of that. I just didn't know that was a Bigfoot. I never connected the two things. But um, once I had an interest in the topic, I decided I wanted to do something with that. And I, I had also had an interest in filmmaking, obviously. So uh, I just combined those two things. And we made a documentary in 2014 called Minerva Monster. And um, because I was writing for newspapers in the area at the time, I had media connections, a lot of them. And so uh, Minerva blew up around the state of, uh, not, not the town of Minerva blew up, Minerva monster <laughs> blew up. Um, got a Thank lot God. of, yeah, <laughs> uh, got, got a lot of like media attention. Um, and you know, I can remember before the movie was even out, we were getting calls from like production companies in Los Angeles wanting to make like a show about me and my friends, like looking for monsters Which had nothing to do with the movie. The movie is just straight ahead, like retelling of this really, you know, sort of um, forgotten piece of Bigfoot history in Ohio. But um, yeah, we put that movie out in 2015. It came out in May of 2015. There were 2,000 ish people that crammed into downtown Minerva uh, when the premiere happened. And we sold out four or five screenings. At the Roxy Theater, there were lines down Main Street, and they had to close the streets down, despite the fact they weren't prepared to do that. And it was insanity. Um, and from there, we we uh, decided we were going to keep doing it, and we flipped the money we made on Minerva into a movie called Beast of Whitehall, and then we did the same again with a movie called Boggy Creek Monster later that year, and then we just kept going from there.
2: You're just kind of going down like the the classic cases that people know about, you know. Because I, I I of course had heard of the Minerva Monster, Um, and I'm from California originally. And you know, Whitehall's the big name, and Boggy Creek, of course, is huge. And you know, you go into the Mothman stuff and Chestnut Ridge. Like these are all the big names in Bigfoot from your area. So you're just kind of going big case to big case to big case and digging in. Then it sounds like
3: yeah. Uh, by the time we had finished Boggy Creek, I was kind of over Bigfoot. Like I was overdoing the this style of Bigfoot film. Um because the legend so we separate our movies now. We have the On the Trail of series and then we have the what we call the legend movies. And that's like where we started Minerva and Whitehall and Boggy Creek and Mothman at Point Pleasant and Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, Flatwoods, Monster, and Bray Road Beast. That's all we call all those the legend movies. And those are uh witness focused retellings of, you know, sort of um, famous, you can call it folklore or, or urban legend type stories, whatever you want to call it. That's kind of the focus. And we retell the accounts in like a very stylized uh, cinematic way. And it's very different from what we do with On the Trail of, which is sort of just exploring these topics in a, in a grounded you know, real world way without, without all the recreations and stuff. So we kind of have two different uh, modes of, of tackling this stuff. I actually prefer, greatly prefer the on the trail of format um, because it offers me uh, a better chance to do what I really love, which is to travel and, um, you know, really see incredible places and potentially have encounters with the unknown. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's like 20 titles in our film catalog, but then we have at this point probably a hundred hours worth of content on YouTube as well. So it's it's a never ending parade of insanity. We just signed another deal with 1091 for our 2022 catalog, which is going to be four more titles, which is actually less than we just did. We did we technically released six movies this year. Uh, we just Jeez. released one on Tuesday. Um, so this year was pretty crazy we we put out we put out a lot
2: stay tuned for more bigfoot and beyond with cliff and bobo we'll be right back after these messages
1: lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
0: lucky
3: We had technically self released, self distributed The Mark of the Bellwitch last year, but it got picked up at the beginning of this year by 1091 because they liked the looks of it. So they ended up re releasing it in May. And then in June, um, On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Journey came out. And then that was followed by On the Trail of UFOs, Dark Sky, which was followed by Skinwalker, The Howl of the Rougarou, which was followed by On the Trail of Bigfoot the Discovery, and then On the Trail of the Lake Michigan Mothman, which is the one that just came out on Tuesday. And that's in between doing, I mean, The Bigfoot Project, which is the YouTube thing we just launched, which, you know, I've been, I got some really nice comments from people when that came out, but it was like unexpected. I, I honestly view that, ser- like, that particular series, The Bigfoot Project, as like a vlog. Like, it's basically, I just, I'm going to active areas and filming myself in those places and uh you know right now the focus is Minerva but I think we'll branch out eventually to some other spots but um yeah I, I received messages from like Daniel Falconer and Brian Brown and and some of the uh NAWAC guys about that series and how much they enjoyed it so that, that was that was exciting to see as well because it wasn't something where I expected anyone to think of it as a production it just se- seemed like this fun little like almost like a diary or something
2: Since we're talking about that right now, where can people see that if they want to do that? We'll go over it at the end, of course, too. But if you know, for people who are listening, the Bigfoot Project
3: is is on YouTube along with Beyond the Trail. Those are the two big like. I mean, those are the those are the projects we're putting the most time and energy into right now on YouTube, and then we're launching an ongoing on the Trail of Bigfoot series over there as well later. And is that the Small Town Monsters YouTube page? Or yeah, Small Town Monsters YouTube. Okay. Okay. So they can find a, a ton of content
2: over there if they go take
3: Yeah. A well, you were in, you were in an episode of beyond the trail as well. And that's, that's been super cool to watch, um, kind of turn into its own thing. Cause that's my friend, Alexander Petikov and, and Eli, uh, Watson, Eli does a lot of the editing for STM and then runs our social media stuff as well. So those are, those two guys are like family. They've been a part of STM since 2018 but they're doing their own series where they travel all around the country and go into these active areas and spend time there. They're doing, starting in 2022, that series is going twice monthly, which is going to be insane. I don't even know how they're going to balance that. Um, But they're going to do two episodes a month of that. And those are basically movies. Like they're an hour, an hour, five hour and 10 minutes each episode. And they're really, you know, cool looks at at What it's like to actually go into some of the more remote parts of this country
2: and look for Bigfoot. Well, yeah, two a month, huh? Well, that's that's something. I mean, but, but you know, they're young, um, which means, of course, number one, that they have a lot of energy, and number two, they make bad decisions. So, that'll yeah, be great. Exactly. Good, as long as yeah. you don't have to do it, right? No, I. that's why they're
3: on board, man. I don't have that kind of energy. <laughs>
2: exactly <laughs> yeah you know um, that was they hit me up at a time when i didn't know who was coming at me for what man i was doing like honestly, like in a in a in a and it was in the middle of summer, I might add too, and we're doing everything from the museum, and the museum was just going crazy, so much to do all the time. I had gigs out of town and people are hitting me up for podcasts, and I try not to say no very often, although that was a harsh lesson to learn. I just started saying no for a while. Um and I didn't know who was doing what. Um and so oh, I'm doing this today, and I do this interview with these two kids, as far as I could tell, because I'm an old grumpy man. And then um it goes away, and next thing I know, I, I hear that I'm in one of your things. I go, what what really? (laughs) when did this happen? I didn't even know. Just like coming and I had no idea. I had no idea.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's wildly low budget. Like, um, Bigfoot project we make for basically $0. And then, um, beyond the trail, I I don't even know. I don't know what their budget is on beyond the trail. I'll buy them a plane ticket and then they kind of like fall off my radar for a little, and then I'll get a message and it'll be like, Hey, we're in X. We desperately need a rental car. And I'll be like, all right, <laughs> and like, this is how it works. Like they're just, they're out there like traveling around and they stay in the woods. They don't really, you know, they don't do hotels too much. And it's, it's pretty wild, man. It's not the way I, and I'm, I'm, that's not me. Like anyone that knows me knows that that's not me. Yeah, have you had to post bail yet? Uh, we're, we're, we have the bail account, like a checking account set up just for, you know, safekeeping. So, so we're ready when, when that happens.
2: Good idea. I, I met those guys. Yeah, really good idea. I, I became grounded. It's like, oh, it's those guys when I went over to Mark Marcel's house. Um, and 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 if you haven't been to Mark Marcel's house, you really need to go to Mark Marcel's house. I haven't been to Mark Marcel's house, but Mark Marcel is one of my favorite people. Oh, oh, easily on the planet, right? Just a, amazing human. Picture like, I don't know, I mean, he's very Muppet-like. I think we would all agree. I think Mark would agree that Mark Marcel is very Muppet-like. I I think he would take that as a badge of
3: honor. He would wear that as a badge of honor.
2: Oh, yeah. I say these things not as an insult. I mean, I'm included in this. In fact, you know, uh, darn near the entire Bigfoot community looks like, they they all look like Muppets to me. Uh, But that just might be the world I live in, too. So, Um, But, yeah, Mark is definitely a Muppet, and he lives in exactly the sort of house you would expect him to live in. Whatever that means, just imagine it. That's it. He's amazing. I just love the man more than I could put into words. Yeah. No, he's, so we, we have a wild
3: story with Mark because in 2018, we were shooting on the trail of Bigfoot, which was like the, the launch series for on the trail of Bigfoot, which has now kind of become its own thing entirely. It's probably the most watched thing we've ever made that the first episode, that first series that we made has something like 11 million views. I mean, it's, it's, it's been viewed around the world, and it's it's really been fun to watch that happen. But we, I decided I was going to film that alone, as in I was going to handle all the camera work. So it was like a one-camera setup. and uh, And so I shot the entire series, something like 21 states, 30 interviews, I want to say, in that neighborhood – And then you know multiple adventures. I went into Area X for you know a couple days, and 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 went out to the Pacific Northwest. Was out with the Olympic Project guys and all that stuff. But my introduction to the Pacific Northwest was getting off a plane in. uh, We flew into uh, what is it, Kennewick? Is that it? Kennewick, Washington? Yeah. Kind of like on the other side of the Cascades out there. Yeah. And then booking it as quick as we could up to Mount St. Helens so we could meet Mark Marcel at a gas station and then desperately attempt to follow him to Mount St. Helens as the sun was setting. Keep in mind, I needed to get B-roll up there and we only had like two hours to do it. I had to get (laughs) B-roll and shoot uh, a drone shot. And, that was my introduction to Mark is him doing like 90 miles an hour toward Mount St. Helens in a minivan on these like crazy gravel roads that I keep like, I was afraid we were going to bottom out cause we we're in this really crappy rental car and we're frantically trying to get up there before the, the sun sets and I lose the light. And, uh, It was, that was, that was Mark. That was, uh, that was my introduction (laughs) to Mark Marcel. And then we got up there just in time. I shot maybe like five minutes of B-roll. Uh, and then we launched into his interview with the sun setting behind Mount St. Helens as his backdrop. I mean, it was like a gorgeous setting for, for something like that. But that was, that was my first experience with Mark. And then the next day was uh, more of the same. We like booked it over to the Olympic Peninsula and went up, um, went on a hike with Shane and Shane ended up deciding he was going to like run me up the side of this mountain in a very short period of time and then back down. And then I got like vicious altitude sickness and was pretty much done filming then. Cause I had to be, uh, I was incapacitated for like three days. I was <laughs> pretty <laughs> Flatlander. <much> throwing up <laughs> and just, yeah, just throwing up all the
2: time and unable to sleep and couldn't breathe for, for three days. It was awesome. Well, I think it's a lesson about both those situations because Mark Marcel, yeah, it seems chaotic and and don't get me wrong, it absolutely is, but it'll always end up perfectly. I get one, one stumble into perfection after another is the way he lives, and I think it's fantastic. And of course, with the Olympic Project guys, yeah, you, you got to start working out like a month before you go to hang out with the Olympic Project guys because like like oh look at that look at that mountain I haven't been up there. I've got 20 minutes. Let's go. And then like you're you're running up the hill after these guys, and like they're all like they're they're like mountain goats, they're just like running up the hill. And yeah, if you ever want to feel old, hang out with the um, Olympic Project guys because they'll run you ragged, man. It's like they they just live for for hiking uphill off trail. That's just all they want to do. You know that's why you know Derek he doesn't do conferences anymore. He lets Shane handle all that. It's like I just want to hike off trail uphill. You you, you handle the rest, and and that's what they do. They, they're I all gnarly. they they thrive off of that stuff too so oh yeah yeah and they they they, they um they, they feed off the s- the smell of your of your um your sweat yeah yeah just like like oh he's uncomfortable that makes me stronger <laughs> hey, but you know, I, uh, you, you sent me a link, and I don't know which one it is because you have so much stuff out there, and I can't keep track of what I've seen. But you sent me a link about uh, one of these Bigfoot deals that you did uh, with the nests in it um, with the Olympic Project as well. What'd you think of those nests? And, and, and of course, tell the audience where they can watch it and all that stuff. But yeah, what did you think of those nests? Yeah, the nests are um, the most. <sighs> The, I don't know how to
3: put it i've I've tried to put this in the words before they they are deceptively simple and and but the more you learn about the the more okay, so the thing is I feel like you almost have to go to that location to really fully appreciate the nests. you almost have to bushwhack down through those woods to really appreciate the nest site because, The first thing I noticed when when we got in there is, first of all, they've already deconstructed those nests, right? So when you go in, you're not looking at what they originally found. So that in itself, the nests in themselves are are not like it's not some eye popping discovery when you first see them. But the thing that stood out to me is like you you're hiking through all this insane undergrowth and everything, and then you get in there and you're looking at this area that just completely almost obliterated compared to the the forest around it. You know, like there's there's none of that insane undergrowth and stuff in that one location. So that was the f- first thing that really stood out to me. But the more you hear them talk about the nests and the more you the more you learn about the site itself, I feel like the more eye-opening it becomes. And if you are if you're the type of person who's only interested in seeing blurry photos of guys in suits online as like your evidence, your Bigfoot evidence, this is not, this is not going to do it for you. Like this isn't that, um, this is something that'll, I think, challenge what you think about you, what you think you know about the the subject of Bigfoot. And if you're a, a skeptic with a brain, I do believe it can cause you to, at least ask some some questions that maybe you hadn't asked before. And I saw that happen when we, when we were in there. We the members, most of the members of my crew, by the way, have no interest in Bigfoot or Cryptids or the Paranormal. Um, that's not really who I'm surrounded by. I'm surrounded by people I grew up with and family, right? So, you know, this is something Most of the crew at STM is here because they like making movies and they want to make good movies, not because they really like Bigfoot and want to find the hot new evidence. And so I witnessed members of my crew that were kind of like gobsmacked by the whole event, like going into the nest site. Um, and, And again, like that location is, it is unpleasant, like getting down into that, location isn't like where the nests specifically are is not a a pleasant hike in the woods it's a very uh i mean we we all fell down that hill at some point or another um because we Mm -hmm. went down to the nest site probably three or four times in two days um and and every time was like a you know a challenge just getting down in there but in the movie the thing i'm most proud about in that movie is i feel like we did capture the the insanity of trying to work your way down to the nest site. Cause, cause the, we were filming with telephoto lenses on a couple of the cameras and it really gave a unique look to the, sh- to the scenes and this like almost claustrophobic effect that I think is, is, um, indicative of what it was actually like to be in there. Um, but yeah, that's my roundabout way of talking about the nest.
2: No, you're absolutely right. Like, they're, they're, I mean, they're obviously they're not inaccessible because you've been there and they were found. But, uh, man, it is not that you're swimming through this huckleberry. And, you know, a, a lot of us have huckleberry where we live. Um, I do, for example, here in the Hood National Forest. And uh, it is not the same huckleberry. Or people up in Alaska or something, they're thinking, oh, this the little shrubs that live on the ground. No, no, not those, not those. These are, are huckleberry uh, bushes in the same family that are between eight to 12 feet tall. And, you know, the, the 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 size of the branches are you know two or three finger widths you know in a lot of cases and they grow right next to and they overlap each other so you're basically swimming through this stuff to try to get to this, un- this the unforeseen destination that you're just trusting that you know Derek or Shane or you know Todd or any of these guys were going to lead you to. It's like, oh, well, these guys know where we're going, um, so we'll just follow them. But you're essentially swimming or belly crawling underneath stuff, and it's not easy to get to until, like you said, you get to it. You go, oh, a little open area with like a little bird's nest on the ground. What's this doing? Yeah, it just seems out of place. Yeah, and now these are the the first uh, nest site. This is even the second nest site that was just discovered last year, right? No, unfortunately, I
3: I don't know if Alex and Eli got over to the second one or not. So we were in there. We were only at the Nest site for two days, but that's just, that's pretty much how an STM movie shoot is. It's why I want to expand some of this stuff out onto YouTube. Like, I really want to go back to the Olympic Peninsula and spend a few weeks out there rather than days. Um, But we were in a position on this shoot where we were running from location to location on the peninsula for eight days. Um, So we started down around Capitol State Forest and then worked our way around the peninsula. And then, you know, we worked our way to the nest site uh, for, what was it, like two days. Um, And then we spent two days at the OPHQ. But we also spent, you know, a couple days out on the coast and a couple days up near, uh, where was it? Oh, up near Forks. And it was just, we, we saw as much of that area as we could in the time we were there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, at the end of the day, you only you only have so much time to shoot something like this when you're working with a budget that's
2: like $8,000. Oh, yeah. And you could spend six months there and still not see it all, yeah, even off the highway, uh, highway 101. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that production. Anyway, and, and what was the name of that one? That was one of the, in, on the trail of? Yeah. On the trail of Bigfoot, the discovery. And then Alex
3: and Eli did, uh, beyond the trail, um, beyond the trail, Olympic Bigfoot or Olympic, what is it? Olympic Bigfoot or Olympic Sasquatch. But that episode is a direct tie to the movie because they were there filming it while we were there. And, um, so so it's really kind of cool because their their episode ties into our movie and they kind of intertwine with each other. Alex and Eli were staying down, were actually staying down by the nest site, um, so they were camping in there at night, um, and they stayed I think two or three nights down in that area, and they also spent some time out out at some of the other uh, you know like Mount Rainier and things like that. So there was there was a lot more that was going on behind the scenes. I mean, the fact is, I could probably cut a whole other movie. Um, with the stuff that got cut out of discovery, but you also had this tie in beyond the trail episode with Alex and Eli. So there's, there's, I mean, we spent a lot of time with the Olympic project, probably the most time I've spent with any single organization. And I still feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of, you know, not just their findings, but them as people, uh, as, uh you know, I, I've spent time with Derek and Shane already. So that was, for me, it was kind of like hanging out with friends, Um, and I really, I I like those two guys a lot, but I I got to meet some people this time around that I hadn't met the first time. And, and I definitely hadn't, you know, my favorites like Chris, Chris Spencer was awesome. And, uh, Rebecca Slick, you got Cindy Cadell in there too. Cindy. Yeah. Cindy was awesome. And we, we, we just had a blast with that group. Todd Hale was one of my favorite people in there because I feel like at any minute he could shoot me if he gets mad or something. You just don't know what it, or even if he's not mad. Right. No, you you don't know what's going to happen.
2: It's just Todd. I say that by the way because I know Todd listens. So anyway, (laughs) love you, Todd. (laughs) He's also he's also
3: like uh, I'm drinking uh, uh, Coke out of a haunted mansion cup, and him
2: and I are both like huge haunted mansion nerds. Well, yeah, he's a total horror guy. Like uh, he and and my wife bond over that band Ghost a lot. Um, Like he's on the horror scene and metal and all that stuff, and that's kind of my wife's gig. So yeah, that's not me either. But um. But yeah,
3: Todd. Todd. Todd's a good guy, and I mean, the whole group's full of full of cool people. Like we we have a blast at at being around them. Like when we were done, that's one of those situations where when when we had to say goodbye, it was genuinely like everyone was kind of left with sadness over the fact that we were bidding goodbye to like Mark Marcel and all those guys because we had almost the whole group in there with us, and it was just you know it was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I heard about that. I couldn't make it up. I was tied up with some other nonsense, if I remember correctly. Uh, one of my deepest regrets of my life so far. But I'm still young enough to have plenty more. That's the good news. So um, I, I've got a couple things for you. like The Rougarou. What's up with that? Are you just looking for a good story, or is there something there? Oh, you know what? Like,
3: Okay, so the way STM works now is um, I'm editing around four movies a year plus occasional YouTube content, and I do most of our trailers. So um, – Last year, I hired uh, – she's been working with us for a while, but last year, I actually hired her to, to work in the office, a researcher um, who's also a good friend of mine named Heather Mosher. And Heather, at this point, helps me pick the projects, and that's based as much on whether or not we can dig up new angles to this stuff and get witnesses and things like th- that. So This was a situation where I was like, Heather, we need to make a movie – and i'm real busy and i don't know what to do next what sounds like fun and heather thought ruguru sounded like fun and i was like okay is there enough there and so she ran off and did all this like pre- preliminary research on it and came back with a a little like google doc which is how she usually handles this and she sent me the whole thing and the thing that jumped out to me about the ruguru story wasn't anything to do with the monster it was about the coastal erosion going on in louisiana that was like the thing. Oh, it's it was like
2: a B story kind yeah. of in a
3: way. Yeah, that was the thing I kind of got interested in. Um, but because I was emotionally invested in that, I was like, okay, we can do this. I'm, I'm good. Like, I've got I've got my hook. As long as I can get emotionally invested in the story, I'll be fine. So um, the Rougarou story is super interesting in that it's drawing from so much of the uh, belief systems and the – Uh, the folklore, I guess, or the lore connected to the people that settled the state or that area of the country. Um, and you can track all the various little pieces of the Rougarou story to the various cultures that have settled in Louisiana. You know, so you get, you get a really strong, uh, French connection with the, you know, the, the werewolf, stuff but you also have all these stories that seem to have migrated down from Canada and the native tribes in Canada that are kind of connected to the Wendigo um, and there's there's just all this really interesting stuff that that played out while we were putting the movie together however my favorite piece of making that movie was um, a witness named Roy who we interviewed on our last night in Louisiana during the middle of a just a f- flipping torrential downpour storm. Like there was insane. It was insane. Like everything was, it was like being in a hurricane or something, but we interviewed him and he had a story about encountering his dad, encountering something in the, in the swamps behind their home when he was a little boy. And, um, he had seen this creature, um, in the swamp and, and, uh, he, he he like basically was out on a, on a canoe going through the, uh, through the bayou and, and came around a corner and saw this upright creature standing beside a tree and it had uh, red eyes and he shined a, a light on it and kind of like shielded itself with a hand and then took off into the woods. And almost the exact same thing happened to Roy like 30 years later. And he didn't know about his dad's story at the time when, when this mm-hmm. happened as he found out later. But he, over – the the thing is, after the interview had ended, Roy and I got to talking, and um, I came to find out that he didn't believe he'd encountered the Rugaroo at all. He believed he encountered Bigfoot. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so like in the context of the movie, that story is in the movie is like a Rugaroo story because that's how he told it at the time. But later, in talking to him, it was obvious that he believes he had a Bigfoot encounter, not a Rugaroo encounter, and. Um, and I, I loved the story because it had clearly really impacted him in a way where he kept going back to the area, hoping to hear it again. Almost like uh, almost like the book ends in Legend of Boggy Creek. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. the boy, he, he talks about being a man and going back to the spot and wishing he could, he could hear that cry one, one more time. It's kind of like the same thing, but in real life. And um, he told me that story and I was – I was so fascinated by it because his description of what had happened to him jived so well with his father's, and he was completely unaware of that, you know when, when it had happened, didn't find out about it till later. Um, but apparently, in that part of Louisiana, in that at that time, at that point in history, those encounters were fairly common place. Um, people were encountering upright, Hairy creatures in in the woods in those swamps really often, but you know what's happened because of the coastal erosion? That landscape has changed dramatically, and a lot of those areas that used to be swamp are now, you know, bayou or, or, or it's it's completely salt water, and and all those trees have died. And it's a weird place, man, because we were down in Cocodry, um, which is as far as I know, Cocodry was almost wiped off the map during this most recent. Um, What was that? Ida? Was that the one that came through? It essentially obliterated Homa, which is where that was our small town at the heart of that movie. Um, Oh, no kidding. That's where uh, my guitar teacher was born and raised. Yeah. A lot of the buildings, the historical buildings that we filmed when we were there aren't standing anymore. And that was just last March that we shot. No kidding. Wow. Wow. But yeah, a lot of the it was interesting to hear from him because he believes that that he encountered a Bigfoot and that that there used to be frequent encounters with Bigfoot in those swamps and that they're no longer there um, due to the coastal erosion, which was just such a weird, like it's such a it reminded me of when I was filming X and we got into that was the first time I really had uh, I guess thought of the the logging issues because I hadn't seen it, but you know when you go into X, there's there's these areas right outside of X that are like totally clear cut. Right. And um, it's interesting to see that standing alongside this place that we kind of associate with Bigfoot activity and to think about, Oh, does, is, does this have like an, what, what kind of impact does it have on these creatures? If any,
2: stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages.
3: You spend enough time in in this subject, and it stops being about spooky stories, and and becomes a little more real world. Like th- that's been my favorite thing about being involved in Bigfootery over the years. is just kind of watching my own opinions on it and and take on it evolve with time. Because I always say, like, my view on Bigfoot is completely different from my view on most of the other subjects we cover. Because in those case in most of the other stories we cover, um, I'm viewing it very much from like a folkloric standpoint. Um, that's why we interview so many folklorists. Like almost every movie has like a PhD in folklore in it because that fascinates me when it comes to something like Mothman and giant birds and, you know, some of that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm really interested in the evolution of folklore and tales that are told and things like that. And you can certainly have the same thing with Bigfoot, but, um, just my view on it has changed with time, and I'm I'm not as interested in that stuff as I am in how do these creatures live, uh, function, uh, what are they, <laughs> you know, like those sort of things. <laughs> like right now, what's got me interested is like in in Minerva, it's it's winter here, so it's cold. There's no leaf canopy, and and the habitat for them there is not huge in terms of the wooded areas. It's not like massively dense forest there. There's little pockets of patchy woods because you're in Northeast Ohio. And I'm I'm interested in where they're going. So I've been kind of like when I go out there right now, I kind of like explore around. I've been trying to go into some of the really like dense undergrowth areas, like bushwhack back into some of those spots and, and look around, but I don't even really know what I'm looking for because keep in mind I'm not a Bigfoot researcher. I'm like first and foremost I'm just a filmmaker but I'm I'm very my my view on Bigfoot has definitely evolved and and now that I've seen one for myself, it's kind of ever evolving I
2: guess. I know you've been working in an area recently because you've expressed interest in bringing me out at some point um, is that where you saw one? Yeah, and I I don't even remember if we talked about like how I came across
3: this property property or any of that kind of stuff. But basically, like it's it's right outside of Minerva. It's um 400 and some acres, and Heather, the our researcher, uh, owns it. Like it's her property. Uh, it's her and her husband's property, and it's it's been in the the family for generations. His mom, who lives a couple miles down the road, but shares. Definitely the, the, the forests will connect to, to her house. She had a sighting, and I want to say it was December of 2017. Um, she owns a, a large um, chunk of property as well that has a really cool swamp that we actually used for some of the recreations in Ruguru fittingly. Um, but she um, she was looking out the window of her farmhouse uh, toward a soybean field and um it was December. It's like mid-December, and she saw a shape in the field. And, and this is, you know, pretty far away. I don't, maybe two, maybe 150 yards, maybe 100 yards, something like that, away from her. And she's looking out there. And um, she sees this dark shape, and she she assumes it's like a deer or a bear, maybe even, because you're close enough to PA that, you know, bears wander into Ohio all the time. And I mean, there's bears in Ohio, regardless of what people say. But um, she's looking at this thing, trying to figure out what it is, and then all of a sudden, it, like, stands up, and then on two legs, books it across the field <laughs> um, yeah. as she's watching it. So there's there's been sightings on this property we're trying to get to the point where we can talk to neighbors as well about you know whether or not they've had encounters or anything but um obviously you're close to Minerva so this is a, an area that is known for sightings like Bigfoot sightings and 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 actually we have a family friend I have a family friend that had a sighting of a dark brown creature um a decade or so ago, not far from there as well. Um, so, so just in general, I'm aware that there's a history of sightings in that area. So we went there in very early September to film an episode of Beyond the Trail um, just as a one-off kind of like fun like weekend, like let's do something kind of relaxing. Alex and Eli had just got back from this crazy trip where they went out to Utah and Colorado and did all this camping and stuff, and they kind of needed to wind down. So we d- decided Minerva was the place to go. And so they, they came out and we filmed, um, on Heather's property for maybe like four days, four or five days and, um, nothing too crazy happened. The craziest thing that happened to me personally that weekend was that, um, my son and I were there and there's a cabin, there's a a hunting cabin on the property that we stay in. It doesn't have electricity or water or anything, but it's a place to sleep at night. And, um, Tommy loves it. It's like my, my son, my four year old, he absolutely loves the, the cabin. So him and I were were asleep the one night. It was about two o'clock in the morning, sound asleep, and all of a sudden I'm woken, woken up from this sound sleep by the what sounded like a a frigging gunshot going off outside the window, and it was a tree knock. And I immediately got annoyed because I was frustrated thinking that Alex or Eli or one of the other crew had done a tree knock when they knew Tommy was asleep. that close, that close to the cabin. And so like, I'm laying there for about a minute or two. And then I was like, well, it's kind of weird. I don't hear anything outside. So I get up and I, I go out and I open the door and there's no one out there, like nothing. It it is pitch black back there. Um, you know, with the, the leaf canopy and stuff there in the summer, it's incredibly dark. And, um, I'm I'm outside it. All you can hear the, the insect noise and there's no one around. And so, you know, I radio the crew, and I'm. I said, "Did someone just do a tree knock down by the cabin?" And um, Alex came back and said, "No, he was actually up a tree stand, far, right. far, to, probably about a quarter mile away from the cabin. He was up a tree stand, and he had been surrounded by a coyote. So he was up in this tree stand, just waiting out these coyote. <laughs> and right. um, the rest of the crew was up on top of the ridge adjacent to the cabin, probably." you know, another half mile away. Um, and none of them had done anything. It seems like one of these things came up outside the the cabin, just did a tree knock. And, and, you know, whenever we go in there, we have audio recorders running pretty much all the time. We have audio recorders running and we've caught some really crazy tree knocks, the rock throws rocks hitting the roof. Um, and when I say rocks, I mean, you hear the rock impact with the roof and then roll down the roof and, and it, to me doesn't sound like a nut, and honestly i don't think there's any trees immediately around the cabin that that are nut bearing trees anyway so um and then the the weirdest thing that's happened in there is that on on audio that i've caught so far, is um one night uh on a weekend where Mark Matsky and I were out there, which is part of episode two, which is coming up soon, um something actually walked up onto the porch of the cabin like very clear. Footfalls like you hear one, you know, like one step, two steps, and then it steps onto the porch of the cabin and walks across the porch of the cabin. And then it's just on the cabin, on the porch of the cabin for like five minutes. You can, every now and then, you, you catch, you know, the creek and you can hear it moving around. Were, were you filming during that time? No, we were asleep. We just had the audio we were recorder.
1: Oh, asleep. Oh, yeah. We okay. just had the I audio just...
3: recorder running out on the porch because that's what we do at night but... when we go to bed. People will listen or will be able to hear that in the new episode. Yes, that should be in the new episode. That's the, not the most exciting part of the, that particular episode. Mark almost got taken out with a rock. Uh, rock missed oh. his face by an inch maybe. I mean, it went right past his ear. Um, and you hear that on, on the camera because I was filming when that happened. Um, wow. The other thing that happened in that episode is we we found what we think was a a, um, a track uh, on the hill across from, from the cabin, um, immediately after hearing some really bizarre vocalizations, which are also caught on camera, which are these weird, like kind of melodic hum noises, very deep bassy melodic humming. I don't know how to describe it. I talked to you that day that that all that happened. Yeah. And, um,
2: it was bizarre. I brought up with you that, that gorillas hum. Yeah, you remember – I mean, th- did you – I don't know if you looked into that any any time afterwards to compare the noises or anything, but uh, humming is a well-known behavior in gorillas. A, 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 well, maybe not well-known because I heard about it by because of a study that was published just a few years ago. Um, but yeah, while they're eating, they're humming together as a group sort of bonding thing.
3: I remember us talking about that, and you telling me – the thing I remember you telling me is you asked if I had heard anyone in the woods say hey. Yeah. And you asked me about um, – or you like mentioning singing me and, hard and, make, and the, slamming and the, the mimic thing? Cause we've, we've also, the thing that we heard in there, we've heard in there that's super bizarre is that they will bang on these metal drums and rubber drums and stuff up in the woods at the top of the, the hill adjacent to the cabin. And you had said that maybe it's something else. Like maybe it's mimicry of some sort.
2: Well, yeah. I've, there's been too many times where um, I have heard it. Um, people I've been with have heard it. Other researchers that I'm familiar with have heard it. And um, uh, car doors slamming. It's like what in the world? And like where and where I was, like there's no way there were car doors. Like there's just no way. Yeah, yeah. So,
3: so yeah. That was that was a wild weekend, and we experienced all sorts of stuff. But I mean, basically, the the weekend where everything blew up is the focus of the first episode of the Bigfoot Project, which was. Heather and I thought it would be fun to go out there and do what I said was going to be a, a podcast with an investigation component, like a video podcast with an investigation component, where we were going to go stay at the cabin. Her and I would talk about the history of the area, and then we would go walk around the woods, and nothing would happen because it's small-town monsters, and most of the time when we're filming stuff, nothing happens. And well, At least we know it's real, then. Yeah. Well, we go we we get out there, we have our kids, we have all of our kids. She's got her husband, I've got Tommy, she's got her three children. We're all out at the cabin, we have pizza. We get the kids in the cabin, the kids are watching TV on my phone, like, you know, they're watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something on my phone. And um and Heather and I are outside and stuff just started. Like you heard, it started with wood knocks at the at the top of the hill across from the cabin. Um those uh, kind of changed to a lot of movement in the forest around us where you could hear footfalls and stuff was moving around in the woods. I decided I was going to, I was going to go walk off down the road by myself and let her and her husband stay back at the cabin while I did that. And so I wandered off down the, the forest road and I got, you know, a hundred, 150 yards into the wood, wood line. And they just were like, Hey, we're here. Like <laughs> they, They had no issues letting me know they were there. There was like almost constant activity around us in terms of I don't know if I talked to you about this, but there's been the wood knock activity in there during those first couple weeks was ridiculous. Like it didn't make sense. It made no sense. It was it was comical. It was so frequent. But they were they were wood knocking in the woods, they were running, you would hear running in the in the forest around us, and then they threw a very large rock that we caught on camera. All that's on camera, by the way, all the wood knocks, all the, the, the one that was wild was when they hit the, that what we think was like the metal drum up in what we call the Rougarou woods at the top of the hill across from the cabin. We call it the Rougarou woods. Cause we also filmed a Rougarou recreation over there. Um, hmm. so there's, it was, it was weird. There was so much activity that was taking place that night that, um, for over such a prolonged period of time, it went on for, about an hour, just constant movement in the woods. Corey, her husband was back at the cabin cause the kids were there and her and I were off up the the road kind of, we had a a TK, a scout TK. And then I had, you know, the camera and she had a camera and we're filming and Corey thought something walked right up behind the cabin um, while he was there. And he said he was sitting on the porch and he heard very clear footfalls approach the back window. The back window would have been into the bedroom, um, the the sleeping area, which is where all the kids were, he just thought it sounded like someone walked, like a person or something, walked right up behind the cabin. And of course, like on YouTube and stuff, the most common, you know, the, the most common thing you hear is, "Well, you guys are being hoaxed." There's people in those woods, and I'm like, "Well, you know, like I guess that they want to get shot. They can, <laughs> like, yeah. If that's yeah. like, I, I don't think, I don't think people in Minerva are that stupid." Like you don't grow up in those woods and then think it's cool to just wander onto like a neighboring property in the middle of the night and start messing with people. That doesn't happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of city folks would think that. I think. I mean, living out in the country, my neighbor said it very well. Like you'd be a damn fool to be messing around with anybody on our road. Like you just probably wouldn't get out. You know, like you know, everybody, everybody out there is you know guns and heavy machinery. They'll never find you. Just the way it is in rural America.
3: So we had we had a lot of activity that first night, and then. The next day, I was out um, with Corey and another member of the crew um, hanging uh, trail cameras, putting up trail cameras just to, just to capture the wildlife because we know that there's a ton of coyote. I, I actually think there's more coyote on that property than we were aware a few weeks ago. We were out there and I saw four of them in broad daylight running along the, cabin, uh, the hill right behind the cabin.
2: Well, oh God, they're running Alex up
3: trees. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're intense out there. But, um, yeah, it was, it's in the episode. It's, uh, we were, we were driving in the gator, heading, heading over to put a trail cam up. And we, we left a tree line. We left a forest and entered a big field and we're heading down toward another tree line that adjoins a pipeline. And, um, there's a big pipeline that cuts right through the middle of this forest. And at the time that pipeline was completely covered in really tall brush, like thorny Ohio brush. And, um, you know, we're coming down the Hill and as we cross over the pipeline, I look up on the side of this Hill and running across the side of the Hill, like an Olympic sprinter is how I said it. Cause I could see the arms pumping as it ran was an upright, dark Brown hair covered creature. Uh, it looked like a dude in a fursuit. And the sighting happened maybe for like an eighth of a second, um, maybe less than two seconds. It was somewhere in that neighborhood. I, th- I said eighth of a second because I was doing a cut on an edit that day or the day before, and it was an eighth of a second. For some reason, when it happened, that was the length of time I felt like it was that it took place. And so, like I always say, it might have been an eighth of a second because I don't know that it was a full second, but I also don't know that it was less than two, right around two seconds, somewhere in that neighborhood is what I'm saying. So I did not know how to react. Um, we were in a, the, the car, the gator was going about 20, 21 miles an hour. And, um, I screamed stop. But by the time I had screamed stop, I was already jumping from the car, the gator. And I hit the ground. We were on a an a decline, you know, a decline down to the pipeline. So when I hit it, I'm like running straight down, <laughs> running down toward this pipeline. I'm trying not to fall face forward, but I thought I couldn't tell. I thought there might, might've been a path up the hill and I so badly wanted to get up there and, and I couldn't, I hit a wall of thorns and I stopped, but we could hear it, you know, like they had, they turned the gator around came back to me and, uh, jumped out and caught up with me and we're all standing there talking and you could still hear movement up in those woods, um, of something, you know, moving around up there. Um, but it was such an abbreviated sighting, but I know,
2: you know, it wasn't a deer upright pumping its arms. No, no, of course not. And, uh, so it was a, it was a very brief sighting, but, um, did, did you find, did you ever go back and look at maps or anything and find out how far away you were from it? Yeah, I mean, we've gone to
3: the actual s- spot where it was now, um, because what happened is they brush hogged it, they brush hogged the pipeline about a week later, and uh, we actually took a reporter from the Canton Repository, which was a paper I used to work for, um, we took him up there the next day and discovered, not the next day, but the next week, and discovered that the that where this thing was running was actually a pathway. Um, there's, a, there's a path that connects two farmers' fields to each other through the forest, and so what I saw, uh, it was on the path of least resistance. It was running on a brushy hill, but it was running on a path. And so that, to me, actually helped kind of like solidify it, as weird as that might sound. It's like it wouldn't have made a ton of sense for that thing to be running on top of brush that's, you know, five feet tall. But where it was running was not brushy. It was a, it was a flat path. It's a pathway that you know like an atv path that connects the two two farmers fields uh through a forest and so um i was able to at least figure that out and, and yeah it's about se- i'd say maybe like 70 yards from where i was 80 yards something like that oh that's pretty close yeah it wasn't wasn't super far and it was broad daylight it was around 2, two, 2 p.m in the afternoon um very clear day but it was you know, it was definitely in shadow where, where it was as well. And the thing is we actually went back, so one of my concerns was like, maybe I saw like foliage or something, and it was just like ca- cast in the perfect light. So, so the first thing we did is like I hopped in the gator and, and Corey drove back up and we followed the exact same path, and we did this a couple times, and there was nothing. There's nothing in the way. There's nothing where it was. Yeah, it was very c- clearly I had seen something there.
2: I, I, I always ask, uh, you look for footprints or anything?
3: We didn't get up there until a week later later but I've looked for footprints there. I will say there's this weird thing. I don't get scared uh about Bigfoot stuff. It just doesn't I don't know if it's being an ex like that I just don't get scared about Bigfoot stuff. I'm not I'm, when I'm in the woods I'm not like oh these things are going to rip me apart or anything like that. Um I get creeped out when I go to that spot especially at night. And I don't know what hmm. that's about, but when I go back there um, which I think we do in episode two, I get creeped out. I don't love being there after dark. It's also near a really weird area where the farmer that owns the adjoining farm has dumped all of these dead cow skeletons, cow cow bones. And we've counted like 17 or 18 skulls. So he's dumping like massive amounts of uh, cows back in the, that... Yeah, free so, meal. Yeah, words. it's kind, kind of a weird spot just in general but it's a it, it's definitely unnerving when i go there i don't love being there after dark and that's the only place where i've had that experience where i get where i'm like i i'd really rather not be here like typically i want something to happen i want to be in the places where you would feel uneasy because that's probably the best chance
2: something's going to happen there but um am not there that's real interesting about the dead cow thing. I, I, I found that in Florida, not too far from the Bridges property, where I was doing an investigation. And one of their neighbors did the same sort of thing, and then um, I remember another episode we did. Some dude stumbled across a place where, uh, like the, the highway workers, you know, dump all the dead road, like all the roadkill, and that's where he saw one. Um, yeah, I don't think that's a coincidence. I mean, certainly the Sasquatches would exploit whatever resources were in the area, and you know, heaping masses of dead cow would be one of those things. <laughs> interesting so cool so you, you saw one you done you're gonna stop looking um no we're just getting started i think like i i want to get you out there for
3: sure but but i also want to do some other stuff with the bigfoot project like go to some other locations
2: what is your most recent project that has come out uh on the trail of the lake michigan mothman is the one that just came out on tuesday there's a mothman up there yeah it's
3: like uh it's seen around chicago and uh Yeah, the Chicago Mothman was kind of like a twenty seventeen phenomenon, but it's it hasn't really stopped. So we made a movie earlier this year about that. It's as much about the interplay between the various researchers and the infighting that goes on as it is about the Chicago Mothman sightings. So that's the most recent thing we put out, but the next episode of Bigfoot Project goes up on Tuesday of next week for our channel members. You can become like a you can join our channel, like pay to join our channel on YouTube and you get stuff early and ad-free and 4K and stuff like that. So we're doing that for our channel members on Tuesday. And then the next Thursday, the following
2: Thursday, that episode will drop for everyone else on, on oh, YouTube. cool, cool, cool. So you have a membership thing where you can, they get a glimpse and no commercials. Perfect. yeah. Yeah.
3: But um yeah we're I'm editing so the thing I'm editing right now is uh, on the trail of UFOs Night visitors, which is a look at cattle mutilation animal mutilation phenomenon around the state of Colorado that we shot back in oh, September uh, yeah a lot of a lot of fun a lot of animals a lot of dead animals uh, it's a good time um, but yeah we went we went and filmed there and that was my second time in Colorado but my first time really exploring the state and I was blown away by it i kind of want. i hope to you brought there. your son with that one uh, on, on that i trip. didn't like i, I couldn't No. On that one. no yeah no. no he's i'll tell you he's still so he's four so he's not to the point yet where i can like l- during an interview be like here sit here and be quiet because that won't happen so we're we're getting there we'll get there but we're not there yet yeah i'm, I'm 51
2: i can't do it yeah
3: well that's that's the thing <laughs> i I'm editing right now, but we we uh we actually start filming something called American Werewolves on Sunday. Um, and that's like a anthology. It's a movie, but it's an anthology. So it's like a collection of cases, um, almost like mini small town monsters movies, uh, about dog man sightings in um Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. And then we will be filming uh Bloodlines, the Jersey Devil Curse, which is our our legend movie for the year, the Big Lake Cinematic Legend movie. And then following that is uh, on the trail of Bigfoot the Last Frontier, which we're going out to Alaska for probably like 12 days to shoot sometime next spring, and that'll be out sometime late next fall, but we're also doing on the trail of Bigfoot the Ridge, which is our Chestnut Ridge YouTube series, and then there's more Bigfoot project, more Beyond the Trail. We do podcasts over on the YouTube as well. There's
2: a lot going on. When do you sleep? Or do you? You just don't sleep. Is that the deal? I don't sleep much. Yeah, I know. Yeah, all this and a kid to boot. So, like, I, I just, and I thought I was busy, and I was complaining about being busy earlier. The same, I can't even believe the the, my lack of consideration there. (laughs) No, I mean, I've been around you. You're a busy man. Yeah, I'm also not known for being considerate, so it's perfect. We
3: both know that's not true, Cliff.
2: Uh, All right. Well, Seth, I I think I've I've held you um, long enough. I mean, it's time to, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very, very much for uh, spending this time with me. It's good to catch up. We don't have a chance to see each other as much as I'd like. Thank you for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, why don't you give yourself one big last plug where they can go see whatever you're doing and, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, smalltownmonsters.com should just point you to where everything is. All
3: our movies are available on like Amazon and Voodoo, Google Play, YouTube. If you're international, I just found out this past week someone in Australia had been asking where they could watch our movies. They found them for sale and rental on YouTube movies. So I think that's like the international solution right now because a lot of people are telling me they can't get it in other countries on Amazon. So try YouTube uh let me think youtube is also like just standard youtube is where you can find all our original series and stuff that we're doing over there if you're interested in supporting it and also getting stuff like far in advance of everyone else and in 4k you can become a channel member by selecting a subscription you want to sign up for that also helps us make the stuff that we're doing over on youtube so if you want to help us grow that just check out the youtube and subscribe and all that stuff
2: all right. Well, with that, we'll let you go. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Um, I'll tell Bobo you miss him and love him. I spoke to him just yesterday. He's you know, he'll he'll be fine. He's just dealing with this winter cold stuff that I'm just getting over myself. So, all right, everybody. If you want, go to, uh, well, if you want, not no, tell you what, Not even if you want, go do this now. Go to SasquatchPrince.com, buy a cool Bigfoot and Beyond t-shirt. It helps us keep afloat. Thank you very much for listening. Tell all your friends, phone the neighbors, wake the kids, tell them to subscribe. And until next week, keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.